This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Hey everybody, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex. So good to have you with us this morning. We're in uh, the third installment of a series called Like a Child because at Christmas we're reminded that God came to us like a child. And out of that story, there's so much to be unwrapped that God teaches us about having faith like a child. We'll talk about why that's important in just a moment. Let me give you a few things that I want you to know about before we get started today. First is that we're one week away from Christmas. How many of y'all realize that? One week to Christmas. Some of y'all husbands ain't even bought your wife's presents yet. All right. I know she said she didn't want anything, but check out a little early and go down to CVS. It's two doors down that way. All right. Go get something. CVS probably not the best place to buy your wife's present. All right. But at least get her something this year. Y'all just remember, I told you to do that, okay? All right? And wives, if you want to help your husbands out, they don't know what to get you. Just text them all your pertinent information. Text them sizes, shoe sizes, pants, shirts, what you want for Christmas. One text message, send it to him, then it's his job, okay? All right? One week away from Christmas to help get Christmas started for you. All right, what we want to do is to help you. And we do a, a, an event every year called Vintage Christmas. It's happening Thursday and Friday night. If you don't have tickets yet, uh, you can find a link to that on our Facebook page or on our homepage at vortexchurch.com. Um, there are only tickets available for the 7.30 right now. Here's the thing about tickets. If you don't have tickets, you can come anyway, but tickets guarantee you a place. All right, they guarantee the fact that you'll have a seat there. So if you don't have tickets, you may have to stand in the back. You may have to crowd around. You may, if you come, especially if you come with a larger party, you may not be able to sit together, but we will have room for you, okay? We will have room for those friends that you want to bring with you that don't have tickets, okay? So make sure that you get there. We, we do Vintage Christmas because what we want to do is take you back to the vintage of Christmas. Before you get into your Christmas traditions, it's a chance for us to have a, a communion service, an acoustic worship service. I promise it's going to be one of the most profound moments we have in all the year. All right, so here's a few other things that I want to make sure that you know. Next Sunday, we're not having church on Sunday morning. All right? And, and, and some of you are going, well, you're not having church. Well, it takes a group of people that get here about 5 o'clock in the morning to set all this stuff up. So we're not going to do that to honor and take care of our volunteers. Um, but in lieu of that, we are posting a 15-minute worship experience on our Facebook, on our homepage, and on our mobile app. So if you have time in the space of your day to cue that up, it'll be one worship song and a short devotion from me. Uh, you can worship next Sunday morning in your pajamas, okay? Y'all have a good time with that one. All right, and then two announcements. I just want to kind of drop the bug so you can hear about this. In January, we're starting a series called Dream Job. All right, now here's the thing. In 2017, most of you will go to work and work more than 2,000 hours. Okay, 2,000 hours. If you scratch every day to get uh, just some good quality time with your family every single day, two, three hours, you won't have more than 1,000 hours in quality time with your family next year. The majority of our lives are going to be spent working, and most of us hate our jobs. All right, we hate that we have to go and work. But here's the thing. Do you realize the Bible opens with God going to work? 
God has a very high view of work. And your job may never have to change for you to have a dream job. I want to spend five weeks reclaiming God's perspective of work as we step in 2017. I promise it's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss one of them. Okay? And then on January 8th, we start 21 days of prayer. All right? It's a big time for our church. 21 days of prayer. We pray together for 21 days. And this year, I'm going to take it up a notch. We're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm going to ask every person who's a part of our church to fast something for 21 days. Maybe that you spend way too much time on Facebook. All right? Fast Facebook for 21 days. But we're going to do that to create room for our relationship with God so that in those 21 days, we can pray, seek God, and hear from Him. All right? Now, today, we're in the, the last or kind of regular Sunday morning of Like a Child. And I want to take you back to Mark 10, where Jesus kind of lays the foundation for this series, which is where he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And we're reminded there that the most important components of this life are simple. To be reminded that God is good and he is for you like we did in the first week of this series. So be reminded last week that, that God is present and He is with you no matter what you're going through. God is with you. To be reminded of those simple, childlike principles. We can never... I mean, this is so important. If, if we cannot embrace, if we can embrace these childlike principles of the kingdom of God, our lives will be radically changed. But if we can't embrace the simplicity of a childlike faith, we'll never really fully become the person that God wants us to be. And so this week we're going to talk about the forgiveness of God and the grace of God, that simple childlike statement that God forgives us. And at Vintage Christmas we're going to talk about the power of God, the, the, the simple, maybe one of the most profound moments that we'll have in, in, in the whole year. We're going to talk about the, the truth, the simple childlike truth that God can do anything. God can do anything. You know, the simplicity of forgiveness is often lost on us as adults, isn't it? You ever been around somebody and you know they love Jesus and they prayed to be forgiven, but they just keep saying, you know, I'm just so ashamed of the person that I was. I just carry so much guilt for the decisions that I made. I mean, that's not what forgiveness is supposed to be like. See, sometimes we overcomplicate things and we, we, in our complexities, walk away from the simplicity of the truth that God has invited us into. I mean, so many of us say that we believe that God forgives us. So I believe God forgives me, but we act as if we need to earn the grace and forgiveness of God. I mean, you'll, you'll say, you know, I know that God forgives me, but, but I, just, I, I just feel like if I'm, not, if I'm not doing this or that and I'm not crossing off all the things on my checklist, I just, I don't feel like I'm, I'm right with God. And then there's some of us that are, even in worse perspectives, worse shape in the way that we think about forgiveness, where we think that we, we, God does forgive us, but, but I need to get cleaned up. My, I need to get my life right before God will forgive me. Can I just say this? Y'all ever seen anybody have an accident with a chainsaw? All right, that stuff's scary, right? Some of y'all scared to death of chainsaws. I'm going to make it all worse right now, all right? <laughs> just imagine you, you got a chainsaw and you're going at it and you cut your hand off. All right, that's not a good thought. I know for most of us. But that's kind of how bad sin is. It's 
deadly. It's hurtful. But that rationale that I've got to get cleaned up before God will ever forgive me is kind of like saying, all right, y'all, we're just going to wait till it stops bleeding. Then you can take me to the emergency room. <laughs> all right. I know I come a hand on my nose bad, but it's going to it'll stop bleeding in just a little bit. Then once it's okay and clean, we can take it to the emergency room. They'll fix it. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, so often we as adults overcomplicate the, the simplicity of the gospel. I, mean, I don't know if you have kids like I do. I mean, you, do you know, you know that when you have kids, you realize that you never have to teach your kids to be bad. You know, I mean, you have to work hard to teach them to be good. It's, it's, they just naturally do bad things on their own. And, and I mean, like my son, my son Clay, he's, he's three years old. He's so impulsive, which is normal for a three-year-old. And right now we're trying to get him to think ahead on what he's going to do and trying to process things. And the way we're doing that is making him ask for permission, right? And so yesterday his sister accidentally hit him with a toy while they were playing. And so he stood up, looked at his mom and said, Mom, can I hit her back? No, you can't interact, no. But thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Right? And if you've ever had kids, you've had that, that, that moment when you walk into their rooms, right, and they've been quiet for a few minutes, and you're scared because kids are awesome when they're talking, but when they get quiet, something's going on. And you walk in, and every toy they own is out. Like, they just, they haven't even played. Their play has been getting toys out and putting them everywhere. And you walk in, and you go, get this thing cleaned up. You got 15 minutes and you leave and you come back in 15 minutes, it's not clean. And so you have to do what good parents do. You spank their butts. Right? You, you just wear them out and you put them in time out and you come back. You know the thing about a kid that is so different than many of us as adults? It's not like two days later, you don't come in their room and they're just sitting on their bed. Dad, I'm just, I'm becoming that guy. I'm becoming that guy that can't put his toys away. Dad, I'm just so, I'm so ashamed of that. I just, feel, I just feel guilty from it, Dad. I just feel, as a matter of fact, could you just leave the room? I don't even want, I know I've disappointed you so bad. I don't even want to be around you right now, Dad. Could you leave? I'm just becoming that. It's starting to mark my life. I'm the kid that can't put his toys away. They don't do that. Because you spank their bottoms, you put them in timeout, and then they're done. As they experience this simple truth that we see in 1 John 1 9. This is the simplicity of forgiveness. That if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what that word, leave that up there. If we confess our sins, you know what that word in the Greek means? It means to agree with God. Now, I know that y'all came to church this morning thinking that you were going to be encouraged and, and uplifted, but, but the Bible and God call you something. They call you a sinner. I right, hate to kind of come against your ego a little bit this morning, but that's what God calls you. And to confess our sins means to agree with God's perspective of who you are. To say, you're right, God. I am a sinner. You're right. I am. And what does he do? He forgives us and purifies us. You see, we must agree with God that we're all sinners. You are, I am, we're all sinners. And see, there's something about that that should radically shift the way that we think about our relationship with God. 
In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it describes our salvation. And look at this, for it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith in this, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. You can never earn it. You can never achieve it. Because if you did, you could boast. So it's not by works so that no one can boast. Their kids get that, don't they? They understand grace and forgiveness. And so today what I want to do is kind of reclaim a perspective of grace. And the first thing that I want you to see, it's in your notes today, is that grace plus anything is not grace. Grace plus anything is not grace. And so if your perspective of God's forgiveness and grace is grace plus my good works, grace plus my obedience, grace plus my excellence, grace plus whatever, grace plus anything is not grace. You see, grace is this free gift that God has given us. It's a free gift. Gift. Romans 6.14 speaks to grace in opposition to the law, which is the system of rules and regulations. It says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but now you are under grace. You are under grace. Grace, the law says that we must earn the relationship that we have with God. We must get it right. We must do it right. We must be perfect to have that. But grace says, I love you. I paid the price because you can never fulfill the law. You see, the reality of grace is there's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. And while that is a free truth it is for many of us an uncomfortable truth because i think there are a lot of us that do not like grace we don't like it we don't like grace because with grace we are out of control it's no longer what i do that could earn it it's no longer what i do that positions me grace is all about a decision that god has made You see, I think we like the law because in the law we are in control and we think we can earn forgiveness. We think that we can earn it, that we deserve it, that that God owes me something. Look, God, look at all the good things I've done. Look at how hard I've tried. Look at the good person I've become. We like that, but you can never earn grace. Isn't that what Ephesians says, the verse we just read? That's a free gift of God. Not by works. You can never earn it. You see, the law is a a system of rules and regulations. In the Old Testament, it would be defined by these rules that came out of the Old Testament telling you how to eat and how to behave and how to live. And The Bible tells us that that law led to slavery but that grace came so that we could experience freedom. So what I want to do is I want to take you to a moment in the life of Jesus where those two perspectives of life came face to face. It happens in Luke chapter 7 where a Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over for a dinner. 
It begins with this, look, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, that's a loaded phrase. In the first century, they would have known what that meant, but we've got to unpack it a little bit this morning, that he reclined at the table. Now, first of all, I want you to understand that Pharisees, we often talk about them as pastors and religious leaders, but in the first century, especially in the time of Jesus, these men were prominent figures in their community. They were wealthy and they were influential. And this dinner that they're having, this isn't like a, hey, we're going to have some grilled cheese sandwiches. This is almost like a Ruth Chris moment. All right. This is a big deal. And to be reclined at the table, it kind of represents a, a Roman cultural meal. This was a, a kind of a very cultural thing that would have happened in those days. There was a small table that would have been in a very large dining room. And only three or four dignitaries would have been invited to this. And they literally, now this is a pro tip for some of y'all as we go into our Christmas feast. They would lay on their side, faces at the table, feet sticking out, kind of, you know, just chilling, right? Eating because they found out, the Greeks found out that if you laid on your left side, you could eat more food. Pro tip, y'all need to know that, all right? Christmas meals coming up, lay on your left side, you can get more food in there. All right. So Jesus is reclined at the table. And look what happens next. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, this is weird because if I invited you over for dinner and some person in our community heard about it and came walking up in my house, they might get their butt shot. Okay. They just might, because this is weird. But this is not weird for their day. They didn't have any sort of entertainment. There were no movie theaters, right? There was no, no internet. There was no TV. There were no DVDs. And so the way that oftentimes communities were entertained is these lar large rooms in dignitaries' homes, when they had significant meals, they would invite the community. Y'all come over and listen. And so around that small table where the dignitaries were would be crowds of people who would come in to hear the conversation, hoping that they might catch a nugget from the people who were speaking and eating. And so this woman, who the Bible says had lived a sinful life. Now, I'm all, uh, they're trying to be nice in talking about her, okay? The Greek literally means that she was a prostitute. All right? She's a prostitute. And she comes there with a jar of perfume. And look what happens. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping her, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissing and pouring perfume on them. Now listen, this is a big deal. Because if we thought about this in our culture, we'd be sitting at a table, our feet would be underneath the table. That means the prostitute is where? She's underneath the I don't know if y'all get that picture, but that don't look good. All right. <laughs> what y'all doing? Y'all got a prostitute hanging out under the table. This is not a good environment, right? But if you understand what's actually going on, that his feet would have been out towards the crowd in the room that he was in. She's standing at the feet of Jesus, listening to him have a conversation with these Pharisees. And what he is saying is moving her so much that she begins to weep. And her tears are falling onto the feet of Jesus. And as she sees that the tears are wetting his feet, she lets down her hair. Now, I want you to understand this is a scandalous moment. 
But still, just like in many Middle Eastern countries today, to have her head shown and her hair to be let down was a scandalous, unthinkable act to have happen in public. So she does that to wipe off his feet. And then she takes it a step further and pours perfume on him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I were in that, I'd have been looking going, what is going on here? (laughs) Jesus, you know that girl? Because she seems awfully friendly with you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And apparently that is exactly what Simon the Pharisee who was hosting the meal thought too. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now y'all listen, if y'all ever get a chance to have Jesus over to your house, you don't need to just worry about what you say. You got to worry about what you say to yourself in your mind. All right, look, I mean, seriously, he's reading his mind. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Y'all remember church lady? You can't even say this without just going full church lady. That she is a sinner. She is a full-on sinner. How would he let this woman touch him? Right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that is exactly where he goes. And this is such a dangerous thought. Because it's a thought that many of us in our own way have had before. That there are people... That because of their lifestyle, because of the decisions that they made, because of the people that they are, they do not deserve access to God. They don't deserve it. Because they've disqualified themselves. And when we think that, we, we inadvertently think the inversion of that truth as well. That there are some people like me that do. I've been right. I've got it right. I'm important. I matter. I deserve a moment with God. And that's exactly where this Pharisee was. You see, how we see ourselves determines how we respond to the presence of God. How we see ourselves will determine how we respond to the presence of God. And Simon is there Simon thinks he deserves this moment with Jesus. He's important. He deserves it. But there's this woman who understands the grace of the moment. And she's moved to tears. And we learn, we learn this, that if we, we experience the grace of God like a child, grace will change our heart's affection. Grace will change our heart's affection. This man who thought that he had it all together. He, didn't, he, he deserved a moment with God. He deserved to be around Jesus. He, he didn't have anything. Jesus didn't have anything to give him. He had something to give to God. He, he was not in love, apparently, with Jesus. But this woman who had experienced radical grace and forgiveness from Jesus begins to overflow. We see that when we experience the grace of God, it will change our heart's affection. And Jesus is going to now point this out with Simon and let him see how differently he's treated him than this woman. Look at what he says. He says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? What an awesome picture. He turns and instead of looking at the dignitary, he looks at the prostitute and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Because she's about to become the object of what he's talking about. 
Do you see her? You see, when I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. See, he's saying, Simon, it's customary when you have somebody over that's important that you take the lowest servant in the house and you wash their feet because he lived in Jesus' days. And in Jesus' days, they invented Jesus' sandals. And Jesus knew, just like all men back in those days, that it is a, an abominable sin before the Lord to wear socks with Jesus' sandals. So when they showed up in Jesus' sandals to somebody's house, their feet were dirty. It was a sanitary issue. And so the person would come in and the lowest servant in the house would wash their feet off because it would keep their floors and their house clean. Jesus says, look, when I got here, you didn't call anybody in here to wash my feet. But she's cried on them. And she pulled down her hair and washed them off. Look what he says now. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You see, in those days, it was customary that when you received someone of importance into your home as a sign of blessing and reception, you would kiss them. Now, I know as dudes, we don't like that today, right? I know. We don't receive men into our house by kissing other men. But that's exactly what would have been expected for him to be treated as somebody who was important, someone who mattered. But he says, you were supposed to give me a kiss. But no, this woman, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. See, Simon, if you really, really expected this to be an awesome time, if you really respected me, you would have washed my feet. You would have kissed me. And then he says, and you didn't put any oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Now think about this. In those days, they didn't have showers as readily available as we do today. And bathe probably maybe once a week. So when a dude came over to your house after he'd been traveling, he smelled like a dude, Okay. And so as a part of a very important meal like this, when they came into the home, there would be an oil and a fragrance that would be poured over them and the servants would wash their hair with it. It would allow them to smell better as they were in your home. But you want to know what's interesting? I, I, I thought about this when I was studying actually last night. This jar of perfume that she walked in and the first century a prostitute was picked out in the open market by a perfume you would walk by them and smell them they had a, a certain scent that went with it and you knew that oh she's the one wearing it i will look for her services and she walked in carrying this very expensive jar it's estimated that that jar of perfume was worth one year of her wages the symbol of who she was and who she had been. And he says, you, you, didn't, you didn't receive me as someone important, but she took this perfume and poured it all over my feet. You see, we see something about grace that is so present there. That legalism and religion causes us to say that we deserve the blessings of God. When we live this life by a checklist saying, if I can do this and do this and do this, I'll just get it right. All of a sudden, we think that we've earned good things from God. God, you owe me. 
Because I've done it wrong. I've done it right. But if you really understand the law, the Bible tells us clearly that what we deserve is death. That we are all sinners. And in Romans 6, it says the wages of sin is death. There was a debt that was to be paid. There was a debt that was owed because of our sin. And so Jesus came and we celebrate this at Christmas. He came to pay the debt. And when we're like this woman who is standing there at the feet of Jesus, a woman who scorned in her community, religious leaders look down on her. Obviously, Simon himself doesn't think she deserves to even be in the moment. When we experience grace like she did, When we do, we realize that we don't deserve God's grace and our hearts will overflow with appreciation. Our hearts will overflow. You see, if we experience God's grace like a child, if we really experience the grace of God like a little child, grace will forever change our life's direction. Isn't that what's happening? In that moment when she's pouring that perfume out. She's saying no more God. No more. It's over with. I'm done. I'm done living a sinful lifestyle. I'm done rebelling against you. I'm done running from you. I'm here. I'm pouring it all out on you. And see we learn something about grace and generosity in that moment. That people who have chosen to follow Jesus for centuries have known. Is that when we give our lives to Jesus and we experience the radical grace and forgiveness that he gives us. We will never give him anything that compares to that. Which is why Christians throughout the decades and centuries and eons since Jesus was here. They've always been marked by generosity. And it's their generosity. If there was one hallmark that's changed communities, it's been the fact that they said, I can never give anything that will compare to what God has given me in this moment. So look at what Jesus says as he addresses this woman finally. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And this is for Simon. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And they began to question how he could, as just a prophet, forgive her sins. So then he looked at her and he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Think about that. Peace. See, the law... That system of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, the law will never bring you peace because there's always something that's left to do. But grace, grace brings peace. That's the message of Christmas. That God would send us his son. 
God would send us His Son. Philippians says that He didn't consider being God something to be held on to after forever, eternity having been worshipped and adored in heaven. Jesus let go of the rights that He had so that He could come to earth as a little baby, fragile, wrapped in human flesh in a form that He created. And then he lived a perfect life. Uninfected and affected by sin, Jesus would live a life that none of us could ever live. Because when sin is present, there must be a sacrifice to atone for it. And the demand of God is perfection. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law. To be the embodiment of the law. But then he died to save us in a death that he didn't deserve and a death that was for you and for me. And he died for those of us that are in the room today and we know that we're sinners. We know that we failed God. We maybe even in this moment feel a little bit like that woman at the feet of Jesus overcome by the grace of God. But he also died for the ones that are in the room that he would call the worst of sinners. The people who are here who don't think they need to be forgiven of much. You see, at Christmas, we're reminded that he came to bring peace. And the way he did that was by giving himself so that we could live and His grace. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.